The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. From the five, they give it to Wadley to the left. Still on his feet, lunges for the pylon. Touchdown, Iowa! Wadley does it to Coach Fitzgerald again. Wadley had four last year at Northwestern. Tack on one more, five touchdowns in five quarters for number 25. Hawkeyes are now 13 for 14 in the red zone this year with 12 touchdowns, so the efficiency continues. And Akram Wadley, he had four touchdowns last year. He goes to the short side, extends for six, and ties this up in Iowa City. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' homecoming loss to Northwestern, and he previews this week's Minnesota game in the annual battle for Floyd of Rosedale. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Minnesota's Tracy Clays. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of landof10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times plus our own Tyler Chemeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPNU with announcers Eamon McEnany and John Congemi. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa plays its second consecutive Big Ten West Division game this Saturday on the road at Minnesota. When this game is over, half the season will be in the record books for the Hawkeyes. And make no mistake, this game is a must-win for Iowa. It's essentially an elimination game in the race to win the Big Ten West and to play in the conference title game in December. The Hawkeyes finished the 2015 season with all four of their rivalry trophies, plus the Big Ten West title. They successfully defended the Cy Hawk Trophy when defeating Iowa State in the second game of the season. Now Floyd of Rosedale is on the line versus the Golden Gophers. But more importantly, an Iowa loss would put it in a very deep hole in the West Division and leave both Minnesota and Northwestern with the potential tiebreakers at the end of regular season play. The Hawkeyes have significant issues right now and the prospects for relief in the short term appear bleak. Iowa has one of the worst run defenses in college football and while the defense defense inside the red zone has been pretty decent. Elsewhere on the field, it's been very leaky and on a path to be one of the worst in the Kirk Ferentz era. There is a serious weakness in one of the linebacker positions, and the two starting safeties struggle to make downfield tackles in space. The Hawkeyes have an adequate rushing offense, but even it hasn't lived up to the standards, nor has it been consistently good. At the heart of the matter is the fact that Iowa is losing the battles on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Pass blocking, especially on the 
edges and particularly at the left tackle position has become a huge issue. C.J. Beathard has already been sacked 14 times, six alone in last week's Northwestern game, and looks like his confidence has been shaken. He's not playing up to the level of preseason expectations, nor is he performing anywhere near as well as he did last season. Iowa's entire offensive output has been, well, offensive. The Hawkeyes rank near the bottom of the FBS in total offense, rushing offense, passing offense, first downs, third down conversions, and time of possession. On the other hand, they've been both effective and efficient inside the red zone. Moreover, personnel changes, while perhaps necessary, don't appear on the horizon. As late as Tuesday's weekly press conference, head coach Kirk Ferentz expressed an unwillingness to make changes in Iowa's depth chart. Minnesota, on the other hand, has a very potent offense, led by a quarterback who has given Iowa problems in the past. The Gophers are especially effective running the ball with a trio of running backs averaging 228 yards per game on the ground. They are scoring lots of points and have racked up over 400 yards in total offense in each of their last three contests. That's a very bad combination for the Hawkeyes defense at this point in time. On the other hand, Minnesota's shown vulnerability in defending the pass, and it has had major penalty issues, much worse than Iowa's. It's also a rivalry game that gets the teams and especially older fans fired up each season. Inside the Gophers' locker room, in pressers, and inside their stadium, the words hate and Iowa are frequently used. Iowa is 3-2 overall, 1-1 in Big Ten play. Minnesota is 3-1, 0-1 in the conference. The Gophers have defeated Oregon State, Indiana State, and Colorado State all at home. They lost last week on the road in overtime at Penn State. Kirk Ferentz is in his 18th season as Iowa's head coach with a record of 130-89. Tracy Clays is in his first full year as Gophers head coach after taking over last season on an interim basis when Jerry Kill retired. Clays is 5-5 five and five overall at Minnesota. Floyd of Rosedale is on the line. It currently hangs out in Iowa City after last year's 40-35 win for Iowa at Kinnick Stadium, and the Hawkeyes have won three of the last four meetings between the two schools. Minnesota holds a 43-37-2 all-time advantage in games played for the Bronze Pig, and the Gophers lead the series overall 62-45-2, including 39-16-1 in games played in Minneapolis. After this game, Iowa will be back on the road at Purdue next Saturday while Minnesota travels to Maryland. Tidbits and nuggets, it's another early kickoff for the Hawkeyes, 11 a.m. at TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Iowa players noted this week that they need to have a faster start, something that's been an issue for this team in 11 o'clock games. Iowa has won seven consecutive road games. That remains tied for fourth longest in the FBS. It's certainly at risk this weekend. The Hawkeyes have also won five consecutive rivalry trophy games. This season, Iowa has two Minnesota natives on its roster, wide receiver Connor Keene and defensive back Amari Hooker. The Gophers have four Iowans on their roster. ESPN2 will televise this game with announcers Beth Mowens and Anthony Brecht. The Hawkeyes radio network will broadcast the contest, as always, with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak. And for those of you who need or like to listen on satellite radio, you can tune in to XM Channel 196 or Sirius Channel 113. (laughs) 
Now they give it to Wadley to the left, and he walks right in. Wadley gets the touchdown, but it was the catch that set it up. He yeah, has the big play on third down from the pocket. C.J. Beathard to shield. Terrific job of creating field position by special teams that allows Iowa instant field position. They get a big catch on the outside by Jay Shield. Good escape ability by C.J. Beathard and presence in the pocket to be able to stand there and deliver that football. And then Wadley, he had four touchdowns last year, two today. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides an assessment of his team's struggles through the first five games of the season. I think it's interesting if you look back right now, the two teams that met in uh, Indianapolis for the championship, you know, both have uh, experienced bumps over the last couple weeks. So, you know, at this point, really, there's only one course of action. That's for us to push forward, continue to push forward, and try to make improvement on a daily basis. And that's really where our focus is. I think our players are invested. They're giving good effort. And right now, we're not just playing, you know, we're not playing well enough at times. And uh, those are the things that we have to really try to address. It gets down to me. The most important things to be focused on right now are making the makeable type plays, playing clean football. And then trying to eliminate the uh, self-inflicted wounds, and they've, they've been uh, hurtful to our, our cause, certainly. And, you know, as, as uh, I think most of you know, winning and losing tends to be a really fine line. You know, when you are winning, things get magnified a little bit, and some of the things that you're not doing well get overlooked. And then conversely, when you come up on the short end, you know, the things that you don't do well really tend to be, you know, more uh, more magnified. Ference talks about the challenges facing Iowa at Minnesota. Traveling up to Minnesota, they're a good football team, 3-1 and one right now. Uh, very impressive offensively score a lot of points uh, like like you would expect. They're big uh, on offense, uh, probably bigger than in the past. They've uh, got some new linemen. They're really big guys. So they collectively that group's big, tight ends big, uh, quarterbacks big, and a veteran player, really good player, uh, good group of receivers, and really impressed with their running backs. The running backs are all uh, three guys really run hard and do a nice job there. Very athletic on defense. They play hard and very, very athletic. And then special teams-wise, they're good on special teams, as they have been and uh, have good specialists. So, you know, challenge playing a good football team added challenge playing on the road. Kirk was asked if the team's leadership group is doing a good job. Yeah, I think so. I think we're getting good leadership from our whole team, not just the leadership group, but uh, yeah, it's, leadership's a collective thing. Everybody's got an ownership in that and involvement, and uh, yeah, it all starts with having a good attitude and working hard every day, and I think the guys are doing that. I don't think any of us are playing, playing perfect or coaching perfect, so, you know, we're all frustrated right now. We came up short twice. Uh, that leads to frustration, and uh, there's not a person in our organization that can't do a better job, and that's what all trying to do. Ference was asked about his team's struggles in run defense, particularly when preparing to face the Gophers' very good offense. They've got a big group of guys and they're going to come out and they, they like to run the football, so it's, a, it's going to be a big challenge for us uh, matching up size-wise, so we're going to have to do a great job with our technique and the, the biggest thing on defense, everybody's got to be where they've got to be when they're supposed to be there and then number two, got to tackle better and you know those two areas have cost, uh, cost us some big plays and you know my, my point to the team and my point to uh, to you would be the, the things that don't kill you. It's not the five-yard run, six-yard run, not that you like to give those up, but it's those ones that break out plus 15. And we had a couple of them the other day, and that's it's more about just, you know, executing better. And that's those are the things we're going to have to do if we're going to be a good defensive team. Every team's got good players, uh, typically in our conference. So, But the things that you can't control are that, you know, talent disparities and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that's our issue right now. Our issue is just playing more consistently. You know, all 11 guys being where they're supposed to be on a given uh, given play. 
And then you have to execute the fundamentals. And that, that's what I was talking about, the makeables. You know, if you're not going to tackle consistently, it's going to be hard to expect to be a good defensive football team. So, you know, that, that's an imperative. You can't get cut off your uh, feet. You know, you can't play on the ground. There are certain things you just can't do defensively if you want to be sound. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not clicking on all cylinders, clearly. It's just we're not playing well enough, quite frankly. And to me, when I uh, first thought in my mind on, on the defensive side, of BR just uh, st- doing a better job against the run, particularly, again, the big plays. Those are the ones that really uh, make it tough. And we gave up a couple the other day. One was a contain issue. The other one was a, a fit plus missed tackle deal. And, you know, those two things can come free. You know, that changes the complexion of the game really quickly. Not that you want the ball to be driven on either, but, you know, that, those things are really hard. And Ferentz was asked who triggered the hurry-up offense that Iowa went to late in the first half last week against Northwestern, which seemed to provide Iowa with a real spark, and why he didn't stick with that in the second half. You know, it was just a suggestion during the game there, and that was, you know, I just suggested it. But, you know, we, we were not, we didn't seem to be, you know, nothing was looking really good at that point. So it was just, a, it's a shot in the dark. There's no guarantee. It's not a, I mean, if that was the answer, you'd do it all the time. You know, and some people do. I get that. But, um, you know, sometimes changing pace helps a little bit. Sometimes it does. But, you know, what we really need to do right now, I mentioned that one pass play. Like, to me, that's a good illustration. That that's that was good football. We hit that one uh, slant route to, to a rally. You know, that was, you know, boom, the ball came out. It was, it was third and seven, I believe. That was a good play. And then the converse of that, you know, the one that sticks out right at the end of the first quarter, we've got, uh, we ran the ball twice. Instead of first and 10 on the 40 midfield area, uh, we got a face mask, which I've never seen, but it was, it was on film. I'm not disputing the call. And then we got a false start, so we end up third and 20. 21, fourth and 21, punt the ball, give them the ball at the short field. They scored, scored a touchdown. That, that, that to me is the focus right now. That, those are the things that we need to correct, we can correct. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen when you got the ball in the 40 with a little momentum, a little inertia as opposed to going backwards. And, you, you know, I know it's the same way for you as it does any of us. When you watch a team going backwards, it just you just feel like you're grinding coffee. It's just uh, it's painful. So those are the things that we need to, to clean up. And I'm, you know, I, can't, I can't document this, but I just really believe if we can just clean some of that up, you start to gain a little momentum. You start to look like a football team uh, as opposed to, you know, climbing up Mount Everest. And that's, yeah, that's kind of how it feels. And that those are the things that we need to address and do a better job of. Next, we hear from Minnesota head coach Tracy Clays, who was asked if there are any special memories that stand out to him in the Iowa-Minnesota rivalry. No, because every good one, there's a bad one. You know, it's one of those things where they go back and forth. But, I mean, that's that that's how rivalry should be. You know, they're, they're physical games, and so we've been on both ends of them. And, and uh, they're, obviously, like I say, there's good ones, but there's, there's some pretty bad ones, too. Clays was asked if his team is better equipped this season going into the Iowa game as opposed to last year when the Gophers' D-line had been decimated by injuries. We're healthy, so, you know, I mean, we'll see. That's a good thing about playing on Saturday. So we have our guys back in the D-line they are healthy, and, you know, on both sides of the ball, if you look at the game, I mean, that's who wins it, whoever controls the line of scrimmage. And so you, you, that's why you play the game, and, and uh, it'll be our best versus their best, and, and whoever wins, obviously, in, in, up front will will play a big part whether we win the game or not. Minnesota has been prone to give up some big plays, not unlike the Hawkeyes, and Clays was asked what the Gophers are doing to try to improve in that area. Here's the thing is that uh, the, the, the big play thing is, is that um, is, is that, you know, obviously it, sometimes it's mistakes. Sometimes you just get out-athleted. Sometimes it's not playing very smart. I mean, and then you throw into the fact that it's not always the same person. I mean, it's somebody different every time. If it's the same person, it's easy to correct. 
You know, I mean, you find somebody else. But, but right now, it's different people at different times of the game, and, and it's that inconsistency that is driving it. So uh, we will continue to work on it. We've watched a lot more film as a as a team together this week to just to point out the importance of doing your job on every play because everybody in the room's relying on you. And um, hopefully that uh, those things will will start to go away. The the better uh, uh, we coach and, and address them. Clay's has been aggressive in going on fourth downs and with other play calls. He was asked if he's always going to err on the aggressive side. Always is a bad, bad word. <laughs> Just like never is a bad word, you know, is, is that you know, my, my philosophy in general on that is if you can get out to around the 25-yard line, 20, 25-yard line, I'm not afraid to go try to get something, you know, if you have a timeout or two left, you know, and, and uh, if you don't, then there's no sense in it. But I, and a lot of that has to do with we have a senior quarterback, you know, controls things very well. And, and uh, uh, so this year, yeah, you, you know, but uh, if you get down inside that 20, I usually like to get a first down first and then, then try to roll with it. And given Iowa struggles on run defense, Clays was asked how important it is for his team to get off to a good start early and establish the running game. Everybody wants to get started early. Yeah, I mean, that's the intentions. Nobody has the intentions of, of starting slow and building up as it goes. We all want to get out of the gate early and sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't you know and and uh um but uh definitely i i think that that you know playing with the lead is important and and uh you know able to get the lead you, you got to get started early you, you know no question so uh that's our intentions every week and and uh and hopefully we can do that but at the same time i mean they they know you know who those two backs are and and so that's why i say it'll be physical and tough and and uh, they're gonna make you earn every yard they give it right back to him, and he gets the first down. Loses the ball. Ball comes loose. Iowa says they have it. Hawkeye ball. Matt Nelson with the recovery. The sophomore out of Cedar Rapids merges from the pile with the ball. We just talked about delivering the pop at the end of every run from Justin Jackson. This time, it's that safety, Brandon Snyder, that comes out of the middle and delivers the pop. Separates Jackson from the football, and Nelson on the recovery for the Hawkeyes, who have excellent field position at the Northwestern 35-yard line. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. <laughs> Time now for our Reporter's Notebook show this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Northwestern loss. He previews this Saturday's Minnesota game, and we talk Big Ten. Scott, it's our weekly Reporter's Notebook segment. Before we get to the Iowa-Minnesota pig rivalry game, let's take one last look back painfully at the Iowa loss to Northwestern on homecoming. It was not pretty. No, it wasn't. I mean, I think you look at uh, a couple of different things. And, you know, number one, I mean, the offense giving up six sacks of C.J. Beathard and really unable to establish the run is is troubling, especially at this point in the season against a team like Northwestern, which had struggled in both areas. But then I think, to me, the, the most concerning factor 
for this team right now is just its inability to stop the run. I mean, you you can't – they're on pace right now to be the worst rush defense in Iowa since 2000. With the number of players coming back, you can't – it, it it was really just a shock to me that they allowed another 190 plus yards against Northwestern. So scoring 31 points should be enough um, against a, a team that averages 16 a game and hadn't really played anyone other than Nebraska. Yet here we are, um, Iowa with another loss, and we're kind of drifting away. Uh, you know, we've seen these types of seasons before, and and I don't know if the problems are, you know, if, if they can overcome these problems. So uh, just kind of shine a spotlight that this is probably not the year for Iowa. Well, let's turn to the Iowa-Minnesota game. Believe it or not, that'll be the midpoint of the season when that game's over. And, you know, the alarm bells that are going off for a lot of fans, and I would assume inside the Football Performance Center, have to be pretty loud right now. Iowa has some obvious significant weaknesses, which you've just touched on. But let's get right to Iowa's offense versus Minnesota's defense. The Iowa offense is just not balanced at this point. They're 110th in total offense, 95th in rush offense, 96th in pass offense, 99th in first down offense, 84th in third down offense, and 125th in time of possession. Those aren't good numbers. No, they're not. And it's that's the shock part of this is, you know, Iowa tries to, to grind out the clock in a lot of cases. But yet, when you look at those numbers, you, you say, what do they do well? Well, they really haven't done anything well this year. I mean, uh, you know, you thought with a quarterback like C.J. Beathard, second team all Big Ten, he would kind of let, you know, put them on his back and ride them to, you know, to the Big Ten championship game. But yet, you know, his numbers haven't been strong. Now, some of that is now that the Vandenberg out, they've the five out of their six leading receivers from last year are gone. Uh, but then you look at, uh, you know, the run game, they just haven't had a lot of consistency there. And some of that could be the lack of having you know, just sticking with it at various junctures. It could be the predictability of what they're doing offensively. And then it's also the blocking. I mean, I think, we, you know, we don't want to sugarcoat this. I mean, the blocking's been mediocre at best and at times atrocious. And it's uh, along the edges. You know, they've had some inconsistency with injuries. But, uh, you know, they they haven't been able to sustain drives. They haven't been able to convert on third down. They're one of the, among the bottom three or four in the Big Ten in that area. And then scoring points on a regular basis. So this is a gut check game, a gut check moment for this program. And to how they're going to perform the rest of the season. And there's nothing that you can really hang your hat on and say they do this well. And I think all of it is a surprise. You have the best running back combination you've had since maybe uh, Jewel Hampton and then Sean Green, certainly since Adam Robinson and Brandon Wager in 09. You have the best quarterback, you know, one of the very best quarterbacks of the parents' era. And you've got, you know, linemen that I think are NFL caliber. So I am really surprised they haven't been able to put this all together. And, uh, and frankly, I, I, I can't understand why. Well, there are a couple of positives offensively. They've been very effective and efficient inside the red zone on offense. And they've had a significant number of explosive plays. But having said all of that, they haven't had enough. Beathard just doesn't look the same as he looked last year. You've talked about the pass blocking issues on the edge. Iowa's now 101st in the FBS in sacks allowed. Beathard looks uncertain increasingly. And some of those sacks are clearly on him. Yeah, there are a few that are on him that he's just 
But I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna totally blame him on this. I think there's some. There's, I'll, I'll give him a couple. But I think part of it is that his receivers just aren't open, and uh, you know, and, and that's a huge issue. And they can't get, gener- get open. Now that's in some ways reflective of there's younger players out there who are inexperienced. But I think part of it is schematic. They've got to design ways to get them open. They've got to figure out how to how to get these guys open, and, and whether that's some sort of timing routes. Uh, Quick passes uh, among those things, but you know the other the other thing is this this team has been incredibly predictable on third down. It's really shocking. Uh, I hate to say that, but you know when when they're on third down, they've had their first team offense has had 57 uh, third down plays. 49 of them have come into the three wide receiver set. Out of those 49, 43 are uh, shotgun. Every single time, it's a pass. Five out of the six that it's been on third down with a three wide receiver set, they've ran the ball because he's been under center. And then there's only been one situation where he, Bethard's been under center in a, third, a three wide receiver set on third down that's been a pass. That turned out to be a touchdown to George Kittle. They've only had two third down passes go for touchdowns. So they've got serious issues here. Predictability is not helping them, as well as uh, receivers not getting open too much of a pass rush, and it's affecting T.J. Beathard's confidence. I think if they can give him a little bit more time, if they can find a few openings, I think we'll see C.J. Beathard return to what he was because his statistics are just as strong as they were last year. His uh, pass completion percentage has dropped to 58 here due to some of these issues in the last couple of games. He does have at least one touchdown pass in nine straight games. Back to your point on predictability, I know you and Kirk and a couple of other members of the media had some back and forth Tuesday at the press conference and he's sort of in denial for lack of a better term or uh, defensive at least about that issue yeah and, and it's understandable because you're criticizing play calling and schematics and and that goes to the heart of what they do and and I know a lot of people have said well yeah but I was good you still know what they're doing well not with this regularity and of course the scrutiny intensifies when you're not winning and you're losing games and losing games that you should be winning so when you start to look at it and, uh, you know, all eight third down plays in a different personnel grouping other than three wide receivers are all running plays, you know, for all 13 rushing attempts on third down, he's under center. These are things that sports writers are figuring out. These aren't things that, co- you know, and so you've you got to figure people who do this for a living, coaches, have Iowa figured out, which is, okay, in the shotgun. Here's what they're going to do. So then the defensive ends can tee off. They can just pass rush. They don't have to worry about run responsibility. You have the corners who know exactly where these guys are going. So um, I think that's something that uh, he, yeah, I'm sure he gets a little defensive about it. Uh, but you've got to self-scout this. And if you're that predictable and things aren't working, you better change Or because the better teams are on the schedule coming up. They, they're not in the rearview mirror. The running back duo is still fairly productive. It just seems like there's a lack of consistency and too many penalties and some other things that are impacting both aspects of the offense. But Daniels and Wadley together are averaging about 135 yards a game. They have nine rushing touchdowns between them. I mean, if that was one running back, if that was your starter, you'd feel pretty pretty good about those numbers. And I feel pretty good about both players. I think they're both really good players and they've had, you know, uh, Daniels in particular has had two really good runs called back, you know, that could have really amplified those numbers. But uh, I don't think Iowa's sticking with it in the second half. I mean, you look at that Northwestern game, Northwestern scores a touchdown. Iowa gets goes three and out with three passes. Northwestern scores another touchdown on a long drive. 
Iowa goes three and out with three passes, and then they score another touchdown. Your defense, you know, that hurts you in so many different ways. Your defense is not, right now, your strength. It's your weakness. You've got to cover it up. How do you cover it up? You keep them on the sidelines, no matter how you can do it. And then on offense, your weakness is getting your quarterback hit on every other play. In fact, he's been sacked 25% of all of his dropbacks on third down. Uh, that's just insane. So, and, and so what you want to do is, and I think their best punch is running the football. You know, James Daniels and Sean Welsh are NFL caliber linemen, and they've got other guys who are probably capable of it. They've got to stick with it, you know, and if that means, okay, you know, it's, it's third and five, run the football. They haven't done that yet this year. Third and four, run the football. They haven't done that this year. That's how you change things up. You change up your tendencies and you keep your defense on the sidelines and you keep your quarterback upright on an obvious passing situation. That's the kind of stuff they need to do because they do have two, I I think, even more capable running backs than they've had in six or seven years. Wide receiver Riley McCarron stepped up last week in Vandyberg's absence, and he's kind of a nice story that's evolving. But I think there's still a significant problem in terms of the tight ends, which Ference was concerned about before the season started. But George Kittle is still the only tight end who really has any production. Yeah, that's the real problem. Is I mean, he's the only one that's had a catch. They've got um, you know they've got kind of a hole there, and part. Of that is when you have a you know your guy who was kind of second team going in the spring was Jameer Alci he transfers then you have you know your next guy in which is John Wisniewski has a significant knee injury he's trying to work himself back Peter Picard is a uh, a walk on and then you have you know true freshmen and, and redshirt freshmen who aren't there yet and uh, so George Kittle as good as he is I mean right now he is their one pass threat. And, uh, and and teams are going to cover him consistently. They're going to hit him off the line of scrimmage and cover him either with a safety or, or a linebacker in short space. It's going to be hard to get him open more than a couple of plays a game. And, and for in order for that to happen, one of the receivers has to step up. And McCarron had a nice game, no doubt about it. But uh, they really need their guys, Shield and, and, and Smith, to, to make bigger plays. Looking a bit more at Minnesota's defense, they've been very effective in rush defense, which is not necessarily a great matchup for Iowa in this particular game. They're only giving up 123 yards on the ground. They've only surrendered four rushing touchdowns all season, but they have shown a real vulnerability uh, against the pass. They're 14th in the Big Ten right now. They're giving up 255-plus passing yards per game. Iowa's season high was 237 against Iowa State, so in spite of, I think, everybody agreeing that Iowa needs to get the running game more focused and going stronger, it looks like the Gophers' vulnerability is against the pass. They have given up some big pass plays, no doubt about it. And, you know, one of the questions, though, I have is, I mean, can they uh, can they withstand uh, the pressure? If they can, if they don't give up too many uh, sacks and hurries, then, then this is, defense is totally exploitable. The back seven is kind of a mix between some guys who've played but aren't necessarily great. But, you know, up front, what we've seen from the Gophers is that they – Gophers, they, they've got, you know, some really explosive players on the edge. And that's kind of a, uh, you know, I've seen it in the first couple of games. And now the, one, of, one of the most explosive ones won't be in there, the freshman. Uh, his name escapes me off the top of my head. But, but the rest of them are just, uh, you know, if they can somehow neutralize the pass rush, that should be able to take advantage of that. And with that, they should be able to run the football somewhat effectively if they can establish it. But if they go one-dimensional one way or the other, 
Uh, this team's doomed this weekend. Minnesota has some pretty decent players on defense. They already have nine sacks this season. Last year, when Iowa put up so many points against them, they had been damaged by uh, their defensive line depth. They weren't able to rotate people in. They had so many injuries there. This year, they're rotating six guys on the D-line fairly regularly. They have a really terrific defensive tackle in, in Steven Richardson. A solid group of linebackers and, a, and at least one pretty good cornerback in Jalen Myrick. Yeah, they've it's been kind of a you know they've had so many different uh, changes now. You know they've got like four different guys who have been uh, withheld from a, for a legal issue that they apparently look like they might play. Keontae Harden being among them, he's a very talented cornerback. So if he comes, that changes things up a lot. You know, so they've you know they, they've got some guys up front that are that are pretty good. And and you got to remember when you look at their total statistics, we're talking about a team that that's only played four games versus five like Iowa. So when you say nine sacks. You know that's uh, you know instead of that's more than two per game, and and they were really explosive at different times on the edge, and that gives me a lot of pause coming up against this team. After this break, Scott and I continue our look at the Iowa Minnesota matchups, defense, offense, special teams, and Scott talks Big Ten. Here comes pressure into the end zone, looking for McCarron, touchdown Iowa. John, the Iowa coaches were very confident that Riley McCarron would be able to step up maybe with a bigger role. Boy, and he's looked really good in this first half. And while both quarterbacks, great anticipation in the red zone. That ball from C.J. Beathard was thrown well before Riley McCarron came out of the break. And the Hawkeyes go on top 21-17 with 2.51 to play in the first half. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. <laughs> Let's flip over, look at the Iowa defense-Minnesota offense matchup. You already mentioned it at the start of this in terms of Iowa's run defense being on a path to become the worst since the 2000 season, their 87th in the FBS. And you talked about the three keys to that that you've seen, gap integrity, indecision, and sloppy tackling. You wrote an article on landof10.com this week about those issues. Yeah, this is, this is the real problem. And when you return, you know, you're starting defensive tackle tackles, a middle linebacker that I think everybody thinks is one of the better ones in the country. It's just bewildering that this team can't be better uh, against the run. I mean, I think the defensive ends are pretty stout too, but you know, the tackling, I think the safeties are really struggling tackling in space. Uh, weak side linebackers have been very tentative. And, uh, and by and large, you know, talking to the players this week, you know, I asked them flat out, okay, is this just a simple case of you guys getting beat by another player? I mean, these are scholarship players too. They work hard and 
sometimes things happen and, and they said no, parents said no, but it's not being in the right position at the right time and doing their responsibilities. And that's unacceptable at every stage. I mean, we're talking midway through the season now and, and veteran players aren't making their, this, doing the same, the right thing. And, and that goes back to coaching. That goes back to players. I mean, we're at the midpoint. You're supposed to be better than this. It's, it happens sometimes from week one to week two, maybe even in week three, but we're going into week six now and, and not to be at the right spot at the right time, I think is, is almost unacceptable. So, um, you know, this is not a great matchup for Iowa. I mean, you're looking at Minnesota, their running game, you know, two running backs rushed for more than a hundred yards last week against Penn state. Uh, the last two years offensively, they've eaten up Iowa. I mean, their 86 points that they've combined against the Hawkeyes the last two years is the biggest two year uh, total since the mid 30. That's just crazy to think about. And then to see what they are capable of doing, not only from the two running backs, but then a quarterback with Mitch Leidner. I don't know if they have enough time to get this whole thing fixed, but you know, this week alone is not going to get it done. They have been effective inside the red zone. They made some big plays there. I think it's interesting. The whole trend in college football seems to be going a lot more on fourth downs. Jewel continues to be the leading tackler on the team. He's now fourth in the Big Ten overall. He had a career-high 16 last week. I think the interesting storyline, one of them on defense certainly this year, is Desmond King, who doesn't have any interceptions, but it's because they hardly ever throw in his direction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's actually, in my opinion, he's played better than he did last year. Uh, He's not giving up any plays at all, any big plays anywhere near him. Uh, I think he's he's been targeted, I want to say, 13 times maybe and given up seven receptions. It's just, I mean, these are out-of-this-world statistics for a player like that. And he hasn't, you know, had any interceptions because all of them have been really short passes. It's mind-boggling how good he's playing. I mean, last week it was one catch for for six yards. Uh, Yeah, he's allowed... You know, seven catches for 47 yards, no touchdowns, and 13 targets. So, at, you know, basically two and a half times a game they're throwing his way. <laughs> you know, when teams are averaging, what, 20 passes a game? Uh, that's incredible. And I think, by and large, their pass defense hasn't been that bad. They gave up some big plays in the opener. But since then, you know, there haven't been too many of them. I mean, players have gotten beats. That happens. That's life. Uh, you know, and their pass rush has been okay. It's just, you know, can they stop the run? And if they can... I think they're in a better position than, uh, than than we've seen, but I don't know, man. I don't think that's really going to happen. You just mentioned the 86 points that Minnesota scored against Iowa in the last two seasons. Already this year, and they have a new offensive coordinator in Jay Johnson. They've already scored 145 points in their four games. Three of those games, the last three, they've had over 400 yards in total offense, and we've talked about Iowa's struggles on third down conversions. Minnesota's converting 50% of their third down plays. Yeah, and, and one thing you know, you look at is the competition and Penn State might be the one team that they've played so far that's going to go to a bowl game. So there, there are some uh, question marks there, you know, about their company. Oregon State's not going anywhere, Colorado State, Indiana State. But I think people can look at the same thing with Iowa schedule, but, you know, Rutgers and, uh, you know, North Dakota State is a terrific FCS program, but, you know, they're still FCS. So I think you look at this and, in, in, you know, with Minnesota, the, the way that they've been able to, to convert has been, you know, a credit to Mitch Leidner, their quarterback, who's who's been, uh, who's really grown from kind of being an inconsistent player at times in younger years. He played, he's always played well against the Hawkeyes to now being a leader in a, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if he's a, an NFL guy, but I think he's a guy that's going to have a pretty good chance to probably sit at a camp for at least a few years. So, um, you know, his, uh, 
you know, completion percentage is now almost 63%. That's nowhere near, that's way above what it used to be. You know, he's, uh, you know, throwing five touchdowns, only two picks, but he's also a running threat. So they've got a lot of weapons on that team, especially, you know, on the ground. So they've been an, an impressive program so far. Fourth in the Big Ten in their run offense. They're averaging 26 first downs a game. That's second in conference. And they're very effective, as Iowa has been for the most part, inside the red zone. You talked about Leitner. I thought it was funny at the press conference Minnesota had uh, on Tuesday. The word hate came up numerous times, in particular mentioned by him, as, as well as some other players in terms of the Iowa series. He's 19-14 and 14 overall, but like you said, he's been very very effective against the Hawkeyes, even last year when Minnesota lost that game. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's really uh, been impressive against the Hawkeyes. I mean, two years ago, he had some miracle catches by Max Williams, but he was still 10 of 13, passing with four touchdowns. He had, uh, he ran for 77 yards on 11 carries. And then last year, I mean, that was a game where Iowa was seemingly in control, but Minnesota just never let them put it away. I mean, it was 40 to 35 Hawkeyes, but, you know, he was, you know, 20, uh, two through for 259 yards and a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown at 32 yards. You know, when Iowa went up with about two minutes to go by 12, he just took him right down the field uh, and scored a touchdown. So he's a dangerous player. And uh, his size, his effectiveness, and I, and I would dare say his intangibles, you know, his, his leadership qualities, his toughness. I think that that makes him a real threat in this game. I think he's going to be a tough guy for Iowa to slow down. Yeah, he has three uh, rushing touchdowns, too. We talked about Iowa's two-headed uh, running back monster. Minnesota has three-headed running back monsters. They've And all three of them have had 100-plus yards running per game. Uh, Rodney Smith, who's probably their leading running back, but then they got Shannon Brooks and Kobe McCrary as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Smith and Brooks last week each rushed for 100 yards. You know, Brooks was particularly good last year as a freshman against Iowa and Smith's also there. I mean, this is a this is a powerful tandem. I mean, they're averaging five yards a carry, almost two hundred and thirty yards on the ground. And then yeah, we don't want to we don't want to slight Leidner in this either. I mean, you know, he's a guy that's gained, you know, hundred and sixty five yards. So uh, you know, Rush when he does run, he runs for four point three yards per carry in that group sack. So he's uh you know, th- this is a formidable running team. They went out and got some junior college players to play up front because they had some uh, graduations and uh, they they decided to go more physical. That's why they changed offensive coordinators. That was a little bit of a surprise to me when Tracy Clays took over and he fired Matt Limegrover, who was the uh, longtime offensive coordinator with Jerry Kill, and we always heard about the stability. He fired him, hired Jay Johnson, who was, you know, everybody knows kind of predated Kurt Warner at UAI. Uh, but among the factors was he wanted to make sure that they ran the ball better out of one-back sets. So when they were in three wide receiver sets that everybody didn't think they were just going to pass. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, that's what they decided to do there with, uh, you know, out of their three wide receiver sets is run better. So um, they've been more effective. They've been more physical. Last week they had the game kind of locked up and it kind of away from them. So this is their bounce back game against a team that they, uh, one of their two chief rivals. So you've got to expect them to come out with a lot of energy and wanting to play a lot of physical football. A couple of interesting stories for their receiver core as well. First of all, their Leitner's go-to guy sounds like he should be a character in Animal House. His name is Drew Walatarski, averaging 80 yards receiving 
per game. He has three touchdowns. They also have the tallest receiver in college football, a kid named Nate Wozniak, who's 6'10". He has two catches already for more than 25 yards. Yeah, I mean, they're two uh, tight ends. I mean, this is like Paul Bunyan and, and Babe the Blue Ox. <laughs> you talk about you know Wozniak and uh, Lingen, Brandon Lingen, the other tight end, and, and both of them. I mean, one's 6'10", the other's 6'5". I mean, combined, they're, they outweigh probably uh, any of Iowa's defensive linemen, except for uh, Joel Johnson. So, they, you know, if they can get a breakout threat, you know, Waltarski's kind of like their Matt Vandenberg, but if they can get a couple other guys to step up in the passing game, uh, you know, I think they've got a chance to really be something special. But right now, that's kind of their they're kind of like Iowa. That's kind of their area where, you know, they need a couple of players to step up in, in the pass game. Otherwise, uh, they're going to be one-dimensional, and when they go against good teams, it's going to cost them. Their other tight end, Colton Beebe, is, uh, he's beast-like. 6'3", 270 pounds. Man, that's... That's a big tight end. I don't know who's going to cover him. Yeah. Well, if you can prevent him from getting off the line of scrimmage and getting a run, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> Let's turn to the special teams. This continues to be Iowa's one area of uh, excellence so far this season in all aspects. Desmond King is second now in the Big Ten overall in kickoff return. Uh, Keith Duncan finally got a chance to try to kick another field goal last week and did. He's 100%, 21 of 21 PATs, 2 of 2 in field goals. But the really neat story, I think, in the special teams continues to be punter and kickoff specialist Ron Kaluzzi, who is now first in the Big Ten in touchbacks with nobody else even close, and fourth in the Big Ten in punting. It is a remarkable story there. I mean, you know, you're talking about a graduate transfer, you know, position that Iowa's had some decent play, but not great play over the last handful of years. So, uh, you know, he's really elevated that. And really the only mistake I've seen at special teams all year was the first punt he had when they only had 10 men on the field and that, that led to a Northwestern touchdown. Uh, but he made the game, the, the touchdown saving tackle before that happened. Great kickoff specialist. They haven't lost anything there with Marshall Kane, who was so good at it. And then his punting, is, as you mentioned, has been terrific. And uh, Keith Dunn, I think everybody's kind of joked, okay, are they going to ever allow him to kick a field goal? And they did last week. I think he's down two for two. Extra points was a sore spot last year. They missed six. And now here he hasn't missed one yet. So, you know, special teams, uh, you know, for the most part, their coverage has been good. Those players have been terrific. And then their return game has been great. I mean, Desmond King and Riley McCarron both got into it last week and both had really big returns. You keep waiting for Desmond King to break one for a touchdown. You know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. So while the other two areas have disappointed the, the Hawkeyes, I think the special teams is really elevated. And it's now a matter of can the other two sides do what they're capable of doing? If they can, then uh, it'll be a well-rounded team. Minnesota has some really solid kickers to their place kicker, Emmett Carpenter. He's 9 of 9 field goals, 16 of 16 PATs. And punter's kind of an interesting story there, too. Ryan Santoso, who was their place kicker last year, he's now averaging 41.9 yards per punt. He's had eight punts inside the 20 yard line three more than 50 yards they had to replace a really good punter in uh, peter mortel he he was an all big 10 caliber the last few years i would put him in the same quality as a ryan donahue for iowa and so yeah it's been a nice story for them that they were able to you know kind of move around a few pieces i suppose that they're kicking the ball just a little bit different technique and uh you know they've done some nice things there and 
have always been explosive on in the, in the return game. So you've got to be careful there. But uh, you know, these, these, you know, so far so good for for them in, in the kicking game. That's been a real surprise. Turning to the Big Ten before we go back and get your prediction. Not a whole lot of games of particular interest this week. The West is almost all on bye week. Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Purdue's at Illinois. They'll probably battle to see who might finish last in the Big Ten West. And of course, you have Iowa, Minnesota. The real shocker, I think, last week was Indiana defeating Michigan State in overtime. And who would have ever predicted the week before the season started that the two teams who played in the Big Ten title game last year both have two losses? Yeah, well, yeah, two losses overall, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, the Indiana thing has been interesting to me because last year I thought they were they were good enough just to lose to some really good teams. They had to play all of them. You know, they were 6-6, six and six, but they were competitive and against Ohio State, against Iowa, certainly Michigan State. They were until late the fourth quarter, Michigan. And then to be able to pull that out was, a, you know, it's quite the, the game for them. And, and uh, you know, they lost a lot of really good players. So I kind of thought, okay, maybe they're going to be, uh, you know, this year is going to be kind of back to Indianaville. And, <laughs> and this year, there we go. But, you know, they, you know, Michigan State's been a surprise because they've only got five sacks so far this year. And, you know, like Iowa has 14, which, uh, you know, was kind of a hard, it was kind of a, you know, area I thought they were going to be struggling in. And then Iowa's been good there. But Michigan State's only got five with the players they have, you know, Malik McDowell and the, and the like. Uh, but, you know, I, I would say right now the Big Ten race is kind of shaping up on the east side to be that behemoth, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. They may be undefeated playing that game. They, they may even be in the top two or three uh, by the time they get there. On the west, it still remains wide open. Um, you know, Wisconsin lost a close, tough game to uh, to Michigan. I've, I've said kind of all along that if, if Wisconsin can go two and two in their first four, and one of those wins is against Iowa, then they got a chance to win the West because I think personnel-wise they have the best team. Now that they've beaten Michigan State decisively, they get a week off, then they play Ohio State. If they can make sure they beat Iowa and then, and then certainly Nebraska, uh, the Badgers are going to Indianapolis, and uh, no matter you know as long as they keep it at two losses. So. So um, it, it's been an interesting ride. Uh, Maryland has been a surprise to me. Uh, you know, they're now 4-0, and they clubbed uh, Purdue pretty good last week. So um, I think this is, uh, this is shaping up to be kind of an interesting year. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. The metaphor that Purdue is kind of a sinkhole of football took on new meaning this week with their field. Yeah, it went, it went uh, from figuratively to literally. Yeah. Back to Iowa, Minnesota. I do not think it's an exaggeration to say this is a Big Ten West elimination game for the Hawkeyes because if they lose this, they will be down two losses in the West to West Division opponents, and Minnesota and Northwestern would both hold the tiebreakers. Both teams have had significant penalty issues, and you have the Minnesota hate thing going. On. So, what's your thinking here? Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you that uh, Iowa is, uh, you know, that this is this is a must win. I mean, when you've got Michigan ahead, you, you, that's not one of those circles. They, oh yeah, we can get them at home. I mean, even though they have had stuff lately, that was diff- those were different coaches and different teams. So, you, you know, if you just even a, a wise man would say, yeah, you're probably going to lose that game. Three losses in the Big Ten, you're done. You're not going to Indianapolis. You're not going to defend your West Division title. So, you look at this one and you say, you've got to get this one done. Likewise, you got Minnesota. I mean, both these teams are a little jilted after last week. They lost, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I would consider Iowa-Northwestern a bigger rivalry than Minnesota-Penn State, although they play for, I guess, a bell or something like that. But both teams lost close games, tough games. This is an elimination game. It's, it's going to be 
competitive. It's going to be a lot of hard, uh, you know, play. And, you know, based on just what we've seen, it's hard to pick Iowa. I mean, Iowa struggled stopping the run. Minnesota runs the ball very effectively. It's on the road um, in a hostile environment. Iowa has, has struggled on offense to maintain any kind of balance. And, and Minnesota has shown a propensity to stop the run and, and rush the passer. So I've got the Gophers winning. I, I don't think it's going to be close. i got them winning 41-27. Iowa can score some points, but I just don't think they can keep up because their defense just can't stop anybody. The finish! Sir! Do you know what I just saw? No, sir. A gopher! Gopher! Where? Do you know what gophers can do? You better get rid of those gophers. Is that clear? Oh, aye, sir. Very clear, sir. I'll put my best mind on it. I want you to kill every gopher. The little brown furry rodents. We can do that. Aye. We don't even have to have a reason. Do it, man. So that'll do it. Northwestern picks up Big Ten win number one. And Northwestern will head back to Chicago with a hard-fought road victory. Just a great effort. Both teams uh, laying it on the line. And Northwestern probably coming into this game needing it a little bit more than the Hawkeyes. But they showed resilience, especially in that third quarter, finding a way to win. Plenty of critical calls that went Northwestern's way. But they had a big game from Justin Jackson and a big game from Afadi Odenabo. They win it 38-31. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPNU for the game highlights this week. And thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting Iowa athletics for 10 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.